Welcome to Sudbury Scrub, Season 3, Episode 2. Oh yes, Electric Boogaloo. No, uh, God, why do people always do that? The Electric Boogaloo, ugh, now it's in your brain. Oh, there's another car out here again. Oh, it's alright. Anyway, so I hope you all enjoyed that super long last episode. I know I did. <laughs> it took four parts to record through, and each part being about half an hour. It's a two-hour episode. It's crazy. Um, but I guess I had a lot to talk about. And you know what? Really, I have so much more to talk about for each faction. So, you know, I might even do that one again, uh, maybe at the end of this edition, <laughs> of ninth edition, which we're getting more and more information about as the week has progressed. We got information about the Crusade system, uh, but also, I think, more importantly for a lot of people, we got information about matched play. Um, and I, I, the reason I think a lot of people really, really are excited about hearing that one is matched play uh, kind of drives the bus on games of Warhammer 40k. It kind of defines what people expect will be happening uh, in a game or what the power combos are, or stuff like that. Um, if match play is doing a certain thing, like if match play is saying, all right, we're playing games of 2,000 points, that's our standard size game, then everyone tends to follow suit and play 2,000 point games, or they're saying, well, we're playing a smaller game if it's smaller than 2,000 points, or we're playing a larger game if it's larger than 2,000 points. Um, whereas in the past, when the games were of different size, like 1,500 points, were saying 2,000 points was a larger game, and anything under 1,500 was a smaller. Uh, people were saying, oh, we're having multiple detachments. Back when, in 3rd edition, you wouldn't run multiple detachments. You only ever had one detachment, and it was just like, how are you going to fill that in? And say, so, oh, we're using multiple detachments. Oh, well, that's a different thing from the game. Even though now, if you say, well, we're doing a single detachment thing, people are understanding that, oh, that's different from the norm, right? People get that, because... Uh, just the way conversation happens. So, with match play changing around, it really does start to define what happens everywhere else in the game, even if unintentionally, even if it's just through with those expectations. And I think uh, GW has, even though they didn't put out a lot of information, they really just put out two points about match play. Uh, within the article, if you understand uh, a bit of what they're trying to say, a bit of the reasoning that they're trying to do things, and you take a look at a couple images that they posted, and you read into them a little, um, you see that you get a sense of just how much stuff is changing, and I'm really looking forward to it. So the first thing that they showcased in this article was that uh, was a new mission. And early, early, early in this 9th edition reveals, they're saying, hey, new missions. These new missions are really going to change how you play the game. And we're all like, okay, well, yeah, they do. But hey, you know, they come out with new missions all the time. Blah, 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 blah. Well, this really does seem to change it. Why? Because uh, it had a very interesting thing on it. It said that you had these actions. It said that you had a, uh, that a unit could perform, uh, it was four pillars, and um, if one of your units is up at one of the objectives, um, you can start siphoning power off of that objective, 
have to spend, <coughs> yeah, <coughs> excuse me, you have to start your turn next to, to do it. Um, and you have to stay there for your whole turn and your opponent's whole turn. And if you do that, then you will have successfully siphoned power off of it and you'll gain victory points. Uh, this is very interesting. Especially because it listed it as being in action. And you kind of have to wonder, okay, what else is in action? And you look in the command in the secondary objectives because apparently there are going to be secondary objectives now um, and there are going to be a bunch of choose your own secondaries which is very similar to what ITC does in fact it is what ITC does but this one's going to have uh, just their own take their own takes on what they want to see for secondaries anyway um yeah it, it'll have its own secondaries um and in these secondaries, there were also a bunch of actions listed, such as one that was, hey, um, use this psychic action. And if you, it has, a, it says has a warp charge value force, so more to read into there. Uh, and if you get it off, then you gain three victory points towards that secondary objective. This is all really cool because, you know, it, it really makes you kind of wonder, okay, what are these actions? Uh, and right now, there are kind of two ideas of what these actions could be. And honestly, I'm not sure uh, which of them is going to be which, because uh, they each really can mean a, uh, you know some different directions for how actions are going to work in aggregate. So one of them could be... Um, your actions, you get one action per turn. And you can do that action in addition to anything else you would do. Now that might make a lot of sense when you take a look at that holding the objective, siphoning off the power. Usually in the game when you're holding an objective, it's kind of just a status. Whilst you're there, you're holding it. And you can still do everything else you would normally do. Right? So that would kind of make sense. Hey, get up to this, you know, these pillars, start siphoning off the power, but you're still able to shoot, you know, and so long as you stay within the, uh, you know, range of the, of the pillar, then you continue siphoning it, even if, you know, you move or you charge or you do anything. Um, so that might make a lot of sense for that one. It could even make sense for the psychic one. It's like, all right. You know, you can try to get off this thing and still actually cast your other powers. Um, and then maybe, you know, you're, you're just more limited in terms of how many psychers you have in your army. Um, and how many times you're, you're able to uh, do that siphon thing per turn across your army. Maybe only one person can do it a turn. I don't know. Uh, so yeah, that you know that would be one line of thinking. Um, the other line of thinking would be that the base rules of the game are now all actions. So moving is an action, shooting is an action, and you can only do one action per phase. And if you do, if it says 
you know, to do a psychic action. Uh, so that'd be one psychic action, or you do a different psychic action. So you have one um, guy that's like, okay, well, instead of casting a psychic power, I'm going to use the, the psychic power listed uh, in the objective and try to cast that one. Instead of moving, I'm going to stay put and hold and start siphoning off this power. Uh, instead of shooting, I'm going to do this other thing, right? And there are a lot of times in the game where you're looking at things and you're thinking, you know, maybe that should be a, a one or the other. Maybe you shouldn't be able to do both. I think it's very cool because it does introduce something called action economy into the game in a very, uh, I think in a very different, very more, in a more real sense. Um, in a more, more up uh, front and center sense. Uh, for those of you that haven't heard of this term before, first time I heard of it was through Dungeons and Dragons, so it really does apply to just about any game. Um, action economy is whenever you have a game where there are a limited number of actions that you can take. Uh, that you are restricted. You can't just do everything every turn. Um, even games that don't really place that physical, that 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 um, program limit, such as StarCraft, still have a physical limit. You are limited in StarCraft to how many things you can keep in your brain and how fast you can click that mouse. And so that's why APM is often something that actions per minute. Is something that people often tout, flout, I should say, for high-level players that you know are doing 100, 400, 700 actions per minute. The fact that they're able to put through a lot of actions um, means that they are doing things that are they're they're using their units more effectively, and so they're probably going to win. They're going to win on in the micro game, maybe not in the macro game. Um, in Dungeons and Dragons, like normally, what can you do per turn? You can move your guy, and you can make an attack. That's it. But there are ways to kind of cheat around that by doing more things. Actions that don't use a movement uh, or an attack. Like a spell that count that uses a bonus action. Or setting yourself up where your character gets to do a reaction. Which is one thing that they can do per turn, but it's only something that, you know, it takes some thinking on it, because you get one per turn and you can't just use it towards a normal action, but it's like attack of opportunity or something. And if you simply get to attack more times, and you get to shoot more times, you get to move more times, you're probably going to win all other things being equal. And in 40k, we've seen this before with things like double shooting hive guard. Things like, uh, look at how much better Lehman Rust tanks got when their main turret was able to fire twice. These are kind of ideas of action economy. Now, you could say, well, they just point out more shots. Yes. Um, but I mean, specifically, when you take a look at something like the Hive Guard that shoot twice, they can shoot at any target with that second volley. So that's even better, right? Because even if the, if the first volley kills its target, now that second volley can shoot at something else. And you can't do that with the Lumen Rust tank. Anytime that a unit can move twice, can cast an extra power, can do all these things 
uh, it is very, very powerful. Um, so this is kind of saying, okay, here are your actions now. And if I, I think this is the way that it would go, I'm, I'm hoping so. It, I think it makes the most sense because they can say, all right, all of you guys have actions. Here are these extra actions, which you can also take, which may even be some actions that are going to be given to us by the train, which I think, um, Games Workshop, that's what Games Workshop was talking about when they said that train's going to have a much bigger impact on your game and that you can set up ambushes through them. Well, that's probably going to be an action, you know, something action, set up ambush, you know, instead of moving from it, you're now lying in wait or something like that, right? That would be really cool and that would make a lot of sense because it would eat up an action that you would normally do in the game, which would be moving, and replacing it with this new status for your unit. So I think that's really cool. And it would let them do things like, all right, well, this guy here has a relic that lets you take an extra action of this type. Um, or specifically get lets you do a free action with your train or something like that. Or even a, a, a universal stratagem uh, that'll be like, hey, once, you know, once per phase, you can spend three command points and do um, a second different action from your first in addition to your first action, right? And that would be really cool for, that'd be very heroic, which is sometimes what these command points should really be about, where you guys are really honestly pushing themselves to um, greater heights, because you're ordering them around to, hey, 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 make sure to do this, right? Uh, so it'd be like, hey, these guys, they shoot at their opponents at the same time that they're doing this thing that we're normally would uh, replace that shoot in action. So they get to both shoot and do that action. Uh, so yeah, that is really, really cool. I think that'll be a big change for the game. The other thing that they were, uh, you know, I want to go into more. Do I have the time? Yeah, I got the time. All right. So, uh, you know, yeah, the actions are really, really interesting for these missions. And the secondaries, like I said, they're kind of taking a page from ITC. Um, and I think a lot of people before that were very um, anti-ITC. Well, you mean you got to see here that Games Workshop's taking these cues, but they're not going directly for it either. They're doing their own spin. And so I think, again, I, I like to talk about the psychic one because this is where, uh, you know, we kind of saw that this action thing is going to be a lot more widespread. That's where I first saw it. And I really like some of the play and counterplay that can rise from this. It looks like Warp Charge. I'm under the assumption, and it's totally an assumption, that Warp Charge is just going to be the same thing as, as kind of the uh, Psychic Test difficulty, where it's like, okay, um, you know, the, the power requires, a Smite has a, a value of 5. I'm not too sure if that's what Warp Charge, I don't even think that's called Warp Charge 5. But that's what I'm thinking, like, you roll 2d6, and you equal or exceed that number, and you get it off. Maybe it's not even equal or exceed. Maybe it's just um, exceed it, right? Because four is five is already a pretty five equal or exceed is already pretty easy to do. Uh, so maybe if they maybe they change around the wording and it's just like no, you have to exceed it. And four would be the same difficulty as current four, um, five for smite, for your first smite is, and smite's pretty easy to go off, without being guaranteed. So that's the thing, this one, it's like, hey, you get victory points if you get this off, right? 
and maybe do it, like I said, instead of doing one of your regular psychic actions, which would be supposedly casting a psychic power. Um, so there's, first of all, you're, you're likely to get it, but you're not guaranteed. And then also, um, your opponent can try to counterplay that, because if this getting this objective requires passing the psychic test, right? Exceeding that warp charge. Um, and uh, everything else kind of about the psychic phase pretty much stays the same. Um, <clears throat> if your opponent has a psychic in close to you, they have a chance now to deny that psychic power and try to stop you from gaining those victory points. And that'd be really, really cool in a game where, say, it's chaos versus chaos, where you have a lot of psychers that can be involved. And normally, you're trying to position your psychers outside of each other's range, um, so that you're, you're, you're using your psychers as kind of um, defining where the fight is happening, because the psychers want to be just outside of each other's ranges, while also as close to their own units as possible, whilst your own units are likely trying to get up into your opponent, which requires them to be as close as possible. It's, it's a neat little thing. Well this might give reason to really try to push your Psyker up into theirs so that you have a chance to stop them from getting that objective. And you have to choose at the start of the game. Am I going to do that then? Because if it's Psyker versus Psyker, um, you could end up with a very low scoring game if you both take that secondary objective. Um, and you're, you're both always risking it uh, to get try to get this through and not always succeeding. Um, or, even if you have a lot of psychers, that would be your go-to... That might be your go-to power against a non-psychic army. So that way, you know, you, you get a good chance to really buff up your victory points. Um, against the other psychic army, you might say, Okay, well, in this situation, now I have to pick differently. And it's that's the idea, is that uh, the secondaries really reward having an idea of how the game is going to progress. And I think that takes a lot of skill because um, a good player is going to outmaneuver you as well, right? So uh, being able to, having to try to envision the battlefield on turn four or turn five or turn three um, makes a big difference for choosing your secondaries. And I, I, I like that. All right, so at this point now I got to talk about, now we're getting further in to this drive, I gotta talk about the second part of the article. Now look how much, just from that first part. So the second part of this article has to do with points values. We're seeing that points values are, uh, they, they showcase two units that are gaining an increase in points values. Um, cultists are going up from five points up to six points, and intercessors are going up from 17 points up to 20. Uh, Cool. <laughs> Great. Uh, a lot of people are like, oh, you know, points increase. Nobody likes a points increase, right? Oh, maybe they think these units are, are overperforming. No, they actually said they are, are doing a points increase across the board. And they they, they spell out that, that they are thinking about this as trying to uh, decrease the number of models on the tabletop in the average 2,000, in your average game. Um, one of the things that happens when you, so, 
let me let you know a little bit about economics and barriers to entry and trying to get people into a game. Um, back in third edition, uh, the normal size game was 1500 points and all your stuff cost a lot more. If you took uh, a 1500 point list from back in third edition and you directly transposed it into now, uh, that same army that was 1500 points before would probably just be like 11, 1200 points now, maybe even a thousand points. Um, it would be a lot, it, it would take up a lot less points. Because over time, a lot of models have gone down. I remember back when a Termagant used to cost 10 points. Like, it's now down to 4. It's crazy. Um, even Space Marines and stuff, uh, you know, they, they always used to cost, uh, I think, 15, 16 points per model. Just a basic Space Marine tactical brain. And now they're, they're you know, uh, two-thirds the cost, almost. They're three-quarters the cost. It's been, a, it's quite the draw. Um, and the reason for that, there is twofold. First off, you have um, players and play testers and Games Workshop and employees and all that, that are saying, hmm, this unit of mine that used to be good is really no longer good. Uh, it used to do all this other stuff, but now is the, they've released more models and more powers, and the game's gone just deadlier. Uh, units are worth less than they used to be. Models are worth, in on average, less um, for what you're getting out of them. So they pushed that. That's just straight up. They pushed it down uh, on a model by model basis. But when you do that across all your models, when you do that across a, a whole range. Of the whole of the whole game, which it has been the case, um, you just kind of end up back where you started at, but with less difference in space between models, and so you just have end up with larger games, uh, even within that same number of points. Uh, a second reason, and why Games Workshop is to probably totally fine with this, is because you get more models on the table in the same points size game, and Games Workshop doesn't want to. I'm sure they were very cautious when they increased the average size game from 1500 up to 2000 as their kind of suggestion, uh, very loose suggestion, on how to play, on what size game to play. Uh, because at some point where you keep shrinking this, it becomes a little bit too much for somebody to want to get into. Um, and that's your barrier to entry. Um, so, suddenly just start now, they have to buy an army, right? And your start collecting box is only going to have so much stuff. Alright, we're, we're just going to pause it here for a moment. I'm going to pick up a breakfast. And I'll just let you guys listen on and Good morning. Can I have a sausage and egg McMuffin morning meal? Unfortunately, right now we are actually out of sausage. Did you want bacon or ham instead? No, thank you. I'll just have a large double-double then. We also have burritos with sausage in them if you want to try those. 
No, thank you. So just large double double? Yep. Two ten at this first set of windows. Thank you. There's nobody here, so this is just going to be real, real quick. Pizza? Thank you. There you go. Thank you very much. You too. Service. Speed. Love it. Except for the not them not having breakfast. But that's okay. Hey, uh So what happens is with this barrier to entry is that uh people have to buy more models to play your your average game, even just if it's their kind of their, their first game. And when you start in the game, maybe you're starting with a like a start collecting box or something like that. And a start collecting box is really just going to have like 500, 600, 700 points of models, maybe. Right? You got a lot to catch up on there. Uh, and start collecting boxes are a pretty great innovation themselves for that. Whereas helping to consolidate everything and being a very good price point for getting into the game uh, by giving you a lot to start with. So if it starts to become too much, players will stop entering the game, especially because 40k, there's a lot to learn, and there's a you want to assemble and paint your models too, so there's a lot to do even before your first game, and if it's too much, then the game could even be free, and people just won't, because it just seems too intimidating. So, as you keep crunching everything down into bigger, bigger games in a smaller and smaller package, um, you run that risk more and more. And I, I've known players that they're interested. I know I've known people that are interested in getting into the game, but they're just like it just looks too much. Like not even money-wise. These are people with money. Just conceptually, it's too much to wrap their head into. So I think this is a really wise decision by Games Workshop by saying, okay, we need to have. Uh, 2,000 points be a smaller game because we're going to lower our barrier to entry so we're going to get people into the game by having fewer models on the table uh, more people are going to be willing to just try out the game because they're not going to have to buy as many boxes to get into uh, 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 their regular play because they do know that match play kind of like I said drives the bus on things and if people are being told you need 2,000 points to play well, then they're going to try to see how they can fill up the, those 2,000 points. There are people online, I see a bunch of, all the time, uh, you know, at least, well, I would say during the heyday of 8th edition, I would see this post at least once every couple weeks. Um, right now, I haven't seen it. Now it's probably like once a month and a bit, uh, where somebody goes online and they ask, uh, what's the, the, the cheapest army to collect 2,000 points of, and I can't recall what the answer to that is. Some some people, you know, they give a, kind of an in-aggregate answer. Some people say, well, get knights, because you have the fewest number of models, fewest number of purchases, even though each purchase is very large. And then other people were saying, 
custodes and stuff like that. And I think that, I think they all work, all those answers. Um, somebody even actually kind of did the math on it. Like, this is how you, you know, theoretically create the cheapest army of 2,000 points. <laughs> Which, that was funny. Um, anyway, it, it happens frequently enough. So, helping to reduce that barrier, I think, is good. Also, in making models cost more, you also offer yourself more space to appropriately point out um, a model. Um, if you imagine right now, even just right now, they're taking a hundred uh, models that are a hundred points, and they're saying, okay, well, this unit isn't just worth a hundred points. It, it's worth more than a hundred points. It's, it's really overperforming at the points level that it's at. It's performing 10% better than we expect it to. Well, then you increase the points value of that model by 10%, and you end up with a nice clean number of 110 points. That's not quite the same when you have a unit of a model that has a very low points value, such as, say, a guardsman. If a guardsman is overperforming at four points a model, and you're saying, well, it is overperforming, but it's it's overperforming, again, by about 10%. We, these are 10% stronger than we expect them to be at this points level. You can't add 10% to 4 points. You would end up at 4.4. Which even with the rounding, would bring you back to 4. So, what do you do? Like, you go, okay, well, 20%. Okay, well, that's not really going to be 20%. You're, you're, the minimum you can increase its points... Um, the minimum you can increase its points is 25%. Because the next point is 5. And at that point, so if it's... if it's uh, At that point, you are overcharging for the number of points that that model is worth. Because now you've overcharged by 15%. Now the, mo the, the unit is going to underperform by 15%. All because there is no point difference in between there's no space in between 4 and 5. And so, if you just kind of increase everything overall, you kind of give yourself a little bit more of that leeway. Where, okay, I it, now, you know, if one model is, if a tactical marine is 13 points, and an intercessor is 20, now we have 7 points in between to explain why the intercessor is so much better. As opposed to right now, where you only have four points. Four points gets you a whole hell of a lot, and now it's going to be seven points, which also gets you a whole heck of a lot, but maybe now it kind of makes... You know, now there, there's there's more explanation in between. And there's more space in between for them to create a new unit or new model that is like, well, it's, it's better than a tactical marine, but it's not as good as an intercessor. And so it's going to be in between here. And that's that's a space. It's made a larger space for more variety in between those points. So that's why it's very helpful to have units cost a little bit more. And it's also going to be very helpful for getting games done on time. Just kind of like in the 
uh, last episode, if you guys made it through it enough, I was talking about orcs and just the number of rolls and re-rolls that you'll do for a unit um, that's just re-rolling all the ones and getting extra shots on six and then re-rolling the ones on those extra shots and everything like that. You result in just a ton of rolls. But if you reduce the number of models on the table, you reduce the number of rolls and you get the games done in a reasonable amount of time. And that's, uh, I think, very important. Well, I'm going to have to cut it off here. Thank you for listening. I've been Sudbury Scrub. Keep on working. Welcome to Sudbury Scrub, Season 3. So, with the new edition coming out, I love new edition time. New edition time is just the best. Because I feel like there's almost something philosophical about new additions and about big changes in the rules. It really asks us to question kind of so much of our foundation. Um, you can almost say it like it's almost religious. You can, it causes us to question our, our foundational beliefs in the hobby. What should it be? What are we hoping for? What do we want to get out of it? Why are we playing? What are the things that make me happy about this game? <laughs> Those are the kinds of questions that you feel are coming up when you're talking about a new edition. And and I love that. <laughs> that is... Uh, I, I really I enjoy those kinds of conversations. So for me, this is a, a time where that's what I get to do, is have fun conversations about that. You know, what... What do we think about um, open play casual games? What do we think about what our armies are and what they should be doing? And right now, we're at kind of, we just, having look, seen now um, more information about how command points are going to be generated, where it's going to be one a turn in addition to the ones that you get at the start of the game. And, you're likely going to be having 12 of them, and it's going to be based on your total power level, both you and your opponent together. Um, I think it's really cool. So you can kind of think, okay, there's going to be 18, and you're going to spend this many command points on your first attachment, if it's a battalion, is effectively free, because it costs three, but you also gain three. Which is an important difference from just being free, because theoretically, you don't because you don't gain those command points until the game actually starts. So it still actually limits you on other things you can do. You can still go to zero. Even if you every single thing that you spend on gives you back all the command points somehow, um, you'll st you still have a limit on what you can spend there. <laughs> uh, so I think that, that's an important note, thing to note on it. Anyway, um going through all these things, we have enough information now that people are starting to say, okay, what is my army actually going to look like in this next edition? Is it going to be, you know, so at first your, your inclination is, okay, how do I recreate what I already do? That's first people's, that's a, a person's first um, instinct almost all the time, and it's, it's almost always wrong, because... Uh, whatever the game was before, even if the way that you built your army stayed the same, um, the game, the way the game functions, even if all the points stayed the same and everything, but 
you know, one or two little things change, well, the way that the game functions is going to change. And because of that, what is good and what isn't good is going to change. And because of that, what people take is going to change. And because of that, the response to what people take will change. That's that's how that whole meta shapes up. It's not just, you know, one thing good, one thing bad. It's it's the levels of responses. It's the missions. Because uh, even though a lot of people will say, well, it's just about killing your opponent first, many times it's not. And having an answer of, especially at the highest levels, I don't really play at the highest level, so really, if I can just kill my opponent or not focus on being able to not get killed then usually that that will result in a win at my at our local level here but at the higher levels and that's some that's a level that we all kind of hope to get to um you also you you need to eventually cross that gap that bridge say okay it's not about just killing my opponent it's about winning the game how do i do that and so that's that's where all these these back and forths and how one thing influences another will shape out. So, um, I'm in a very lucky position in that I have a I have a lot of armies, <laughs> um, and so I get to try to analyze a lot of things that can change. For some people, <clears throat> that they have just a single army, uh, they may feel really really elated. At some of the rules being released, and some of them may feel really, really disheartened. Um, so, for example, on the one hand, on the disheartened hand, I have my Gene Stealer Cult, where a lot of the rules, in fact, every single rule <laughs> has, that has been, um, you know, released, is suggesting to me that things are going to be bad for my forces. Uh, things that were unique to Gene Stealer Cult before seem to be a little bit more for everybody now, like um, being able to arrive, have being able to put any single unit in your army into reserves. Now everybody seems to be able to get that. We don't I don't know the specifics of it, though. Yeah, so you can't really say, right? But the implication is uh, something that has to be considered. Um, you know, things like not being able to take down vehicles. Well, it's kind of important for Agencio Cult, who at very many times during the game need something to be locked down. Um, because they just, they don't have quite the same numbers as a, as a full-out horde. Uh, they don't have the, the resilience of some of those hordes, actually, I should probably say, because they definitely get lots of numbers. Um, but they don't have the resilience with those numbers, because they're just toughness 3, the 5 of say. They're, they're guardsmen. Um, things of that nature, right? They, they, they can... The Gene Stero Cult uh, really tries to use the rules of the game. There are there, there are lots of units in the Gene Stero Cult, uh, and lots of stratagems and abilities that they only... They're good. They're really good. But they're only really good because the rules of the game are the way they are. Um, being able to 
come down right close to your opponent and charge them from right close is incredibly strong, but not because you're going to kill what you're charging, but because of the way that you're able to kind of lock down your opponent. And if that way changes, well, that could, and likely, and from what we've seen, likely will be very challenging for them. Even, uh, you know, talking about blasts, being able to hit large units. Well, most of your Gene Steel Cult units need to be large units in order to take advantage of the benefits and bonuses that you uh, try to accrue. The limit on um, bonuses for, uh, you know, pluses and minuses really hurts Gene Steel Cult because a lot of their units are Blitz Skill 4 up and they have low strength. And so you would often do things like um, the Biker Bombers, which would have uh, two different things giving them plus one to hit. Usually the Sniper Girl giving them one plus one to hit there. Uh, and then also the Stratagem that they were using that would give another plus one to hit and plus one to wound. So they would be hitting on a two up with their bombs and wounding oftentimes on a two up as well. Um, so, you know, or there was a close combat thing that, again, had two things, I think, that were giving it plus one to wound. Uh, hence you were... No, actually, I think it was just plus one, plus one to wound. Uh, there, so there are things. That's what I'm saying. There are definitely, um, a lot of things that seem bad for Gene Steeler Cult. Uh, you know, cost, more cost for extra detachments with Gene Steeler Cult competitively really requires you to not be mono cult because mono cult um you know kind of the joke that we've had in the 40k discussions on facebook and in the competitive gsc group is that they are uh mono cult no you can't do it uh and, and that even casually mono cult is kind of a death sentence uh and in the the highest tiers of competition, um, you rarely even see a mono cult within a single detachment. Almost all GSE detachments are mixed because of the fact that your cult bonuses are really bad for the units, for most of the units, not all the units. Acolytes, Acolyte hybrids get some good use out of them, but most other things don't. They're just, they're just not quite good enough. So it's stronger to use them for their stratagem purposes. Gene Zero Cult normally has access to a lot of um, easily can get battalions, so they normally have access to a lot of command points. Um, and again, with the changes coming around, that looks like it may not be the case. In or if you're trying to get multiple cults, right? If you're doing one single cult, you might you still could. But for multiple cults, probably not. So that's what I'm saying. Like, lots of stuff not looking great for them. And it can feel disheartening for that. But you don't know how the game is really going to change. You don't know what's going to be considered good and what's going to be considered bad. Because, alright, say everybody says, well, hordes are awful now. Well, then everyone's going to transition to tanks, which means that everyone's guns are going to transition to fighting tanks rather than fighting Horde. And they're not quite the same. They're not quite as good at the same thing. So suddenly there becomes this little bit of an opening where, okay, if you're really heavy Horde, then 
those anti-tank guns won't hurt you. And so you'll be able to do a bit more with that. And maybe the mission actually really, maybe the missions will really, really help out Junsioko. We'll see how the train works. Games Workshop, it, that's, that seems to be what they're saying. They're saying oh man, terrain, turnits, man, they're, they, they, they're going to love terrain rules. Well, everyone loves terrain rules, I think, personally. Uh, so I don't think that's specific to Tyranids. But, hey, they're saying that these things are really, really, really going to help. Well, then I hope they really, really, really help. Uh, I'm personally expecting these terrain rules to help defensive positions, uh, which, again, only kind of hurts close combat armies usually. But we will see. I would I would love to eat my words on that. Absolutely love it. Um, we don't know the whole scope of things. And so... You want to try to figure out, okay, in what situation is it good? Because the new way of doing things really means that you have to look at things from a totally different angle. And I saw this one thing today, and it was talking about chaos, because that's another one of my armies. And it was something that I brought up in the in the love and hate letter. Um, and that is summoning. And they're saying, well, you know, chaos does this interesting thing. If detachments now cost you command points. You're going to want to try to uh, have as few detachments, maybe, as possible. Okay. So, things that get you around that limitation are going to be more valuable. And one of the things that Chaos can do, Chaos has a unique ability, especially cha just Chaos, uh, you know, Chaos Space Marines, Chaos, uh, uh, I think Thousand Suns, Death Guard, they have, uh, they have summoning. Something that I was, Demonic Ritual, which is what I, something I was just saying was, I love it and I hate it. Well, now I might just be able to just love it, because it's going to be, um, a, they're going to have the unique ability to be able to pull in units from outside their codex without needing to have a detachment for them. And a lot of Chaos's stuff doesn't actually get... The, the loci abilities are useful, they're cool, but they're not ridiculous, especially when you're summoning. When you're summoning, the loci abilities are most of them pretty bad. Um, so now here's a chance to say, okay, well, I can pull in these units from another codex without needing to have a detachment for them. So I can have some demons in my list um, without actually having demons in my list. Is that going to be good? Is that going to be bad? We don't know yet. We still just don't know. But it's that idea that something before, which was maybe not good, considered pretty bad, um, has another chance to be good. And those aren't the first things you think of. The first things you think of are the things that are good now. And how can I take the things that are good now? And that's just not a very helpful way to try to envision what the next, uh, what, what the future is going to be. Um, so, you know, try to keep positive about where we're going. Um, because you don't really know. And now's definitely a time to consider, hey, do I want to look at starting up a, a new force? Myself, one force that I've been thinking about starting 
Um, I, I've got a I've got a list of armies I'd love to do one day, uh, and one that's close to the top, and that that I was thinking, I was already kind of starting a little bit with some very very incidental purchases. Um, was a Astro Militarum tank company because I've always kind of wa- I've always wanted to do a tank company. I don't I love infantry, and so in my head it's like, well, if I'm not doing infantry, if I'm doing more vehicles, well then let's go whole hog. <laughs> let's just let's do all vehicles, right? Like that's that's kind of the way my thinking works on that. Let's just do all the vehicles, and you know what? Vehicles seem, they're saying vehicles are going, are going to be great. Uh, again, everything's kind of pointing to vehicles being very, very potent. And I'm hoping with the points changes that a basic Lehman Russ is also a good investment rather than it just having to be tank commanders. Um, having, again, that, that you know, the, the mono detachment, I think is... Uh, an interesting way. It's going to give them a lot more command points than they would normally have. So it could be cool. So I'm thinking, okay, well, maybe I'll get more into the tank company. In fact, you know what? Maybe today I will go purchase from the Nook. Could be fun. I need some paints anyways. Maybe I'll pick up another vehicle while I'm at it. Uh, So yeah, it's exciting times. I, I love looking at these things in this way and getting excited every time something comes out. Even if it's, on the one hand, I can dread it because, hey, you know, my jeans cult haven't been looking like they're going to be very happy with this. On the other hand, it's like, well, but what is going to be great? Well, Mortarian and uh, Magnus and Thousand Suns and Death Guard and Chaos. They could be real. They could be doing some fun stuff, some cool stuff, and I, I like that. Um... Tyranids have more options to work within that kind of this kind of system than Gene Stoker Cult does. So again, love that. Uh, and I'm looking forward to seeing, okay, what are these rest of these rules? Um, because I, I'm excited to see how that will change all these thoughts we already have, right? Every, all of our thoughts can be out the window if the points changes are very, very different. Now, we're not expecting them to be. It looks like it's going to be about a 20% across the board. Uh, I think that's good. 20% across the board, by the way, means that um, whatever you think of right now as being a 1,667 point game, so almost 1,500 points, that amount is going to be your what is effectively going to be 2,000 points. So uh, if you if you can imagine what a 1500 point game looks like, um, the new 2000 point game is going to look similar to that with just a little bit more rather than a lot more. Excellent. Well, I think this was a fun episode to go over. I've been Sudbury Scrub. Thanks for listening. Keep on wargaming. Well, it turns out I have a little bit more time this morning. I just had to make a little bit of a drop-off in the south end, so on the road again for a little bit. Since I talked about Gene Stoke Cult so much, and I talked a little bit about Chaos Space Marines and Demons, let's see 
if we can figure out from the little bit of information that we have right now uh, how some other armies, what might be a good way to build for them. Uh, and you really want to try to wipe out a lot of 8th edition list building in your head. Uh, try from the ground up again. So, likely there are some things that are going to remain the same in the sense that um, having just all of one thing in the list probably isn't going to be great. Uh, simply because Games Workshop really doesn't want that to be the case. Um, in every edition of the game, that hasn't totally been the case. There have been a few flub units, but rarely has it been the case that uh, taking a single type of unit has been good. Um, as such, I think you know, you're still going to be able to build quite a bit of list. Uh, the main question we have right now is, is it going to make sense to take multiple detachments? Or are you trying to actually fill up a single detachment? If you're trying to fill up a single detachment, we're going to start seeing more brigades. We're going to start seeing, um, obviously, a fuller battalion as well. Uh, right now, a lot of the detachments that you've been taking, because in, in order to try to maximize detachments and stuff like that, um, you've seen a lot of HQ choices. And you have seen everything else uh, trying to be like minimized. So usually, um, especially for armies that want a ton of command points and that have cheap troops and HQs, uh, you're, you've been seeing a lot of six HQ models and nine troop units. Uh, that's not, probably not really going to be the case any longer. Troops, you're still probably going to have minimized troops where you can. Um, because again, troops generally are some of your least effective units. Uh, and so if you're minimizing detachments, they're trying to make you have as few detachments as possible, then your troop taxes, you're going to want to try to be as low as possible. For a Tyranid list, you might see, again, the uh, three squads of, of three rippers still being the case. And then you would have three, two or three HQ models, depending on what role the Tyranids want for them. Um, totally possible that you could have... Uh, so it looks like I'm thinking Tyranids, because that's one of the ones I'm more familiar with right now. Uh, two Neurothropes. Probably a Swarm Lord. You could replace two of the uh, Ripper Swarm units with Gene Stealers. Uh, max squads of Gene Stealers. Um, two units of Hive Guard. Two Exocrines. And that would probably bring us up to about... Probably at around 11. Right now would be 1,100 points. So really, like I said, since you got to think of this as being about 1667, that leaves us with about 500 points left to spend models on. Um, I know we're, it's only at 1,100, 500, that's only 1,600, right? Well, if everything's getting 20% increase, that 1,600 will effectively be the 2,000 that we're looking at. Um, let's see then. What would be filling up the rest of it? See, at this point, normally, I would really, like, that. that's kind of a, a almost like a dream detachment for Tyranids right now, that you have 
uh, these units that you can just kind of rocket up the field. You have the Deep Strikers with, uh, with some rippers, and even though that's been minimized in this example, you could always take, you know, another unit or two of rippers if you really want them deep striking up over the spot, over the place. Um, but at the same time, with the new rules, maybe it'll be more effective to have um, a unit of Termagants or Hormagants or something like that. I'm not really too worried about Synapse because you'd have the two uh, Neurothropes with the character protections so we're assuming are going to be still in place. Uh, but got quite a bit of shooting, quite a bit of close combat. Like, that's just kind of a really good, solid core detachment that can take on a lot of stuff. Uh, but it's also missing a bunch of things because it's missing some real uh, ground control areas. It's missing um, being able to have longer range firepower if it needs it. It's missing uh, the ability to take on hordes other than with the gene stealers um, if it needs to as well. So, you know, there, there's definitely some uh, stuff that's missing from this equation. Um, and this is where I would normally kind of go into another detachment. And that still might actually be a, a, a useful thing to do. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I, I don't think I could really take, like, what I want. So if we assume this from a battalion right now, we're still at effectively 18 command points, right? We're going to be, we're at 18, uh, we're at not 18, 12. And you get three, you get six over the course of the game. So don't even think about that in that way, Davis. Uh, so 12 command points minus three to nine. It's going to go back up to 12 from plus three. But right now, thinking nine command points. Uh, you know, here might be a, ch uh, a reason if the Supreme Command Detachment still exists. Potentially taking that, or potentially taking. Um, yeah, probably still, yeah. Yeah, probably a Supreme Command still exists. Uh, maybe the Elite Detachment, if it exists. Um, because maybe, you know, get a really tiny Gene Stealer Cult Detachment in there uh, and give it um, just some of the really strong HQ options that they have. Maybe even give get the guy that gives you the refund over the course of the game of Command Points. Um, so that way you can try to gain more, uh, since you are going to be spending more. But the main reason to take this detachment is to then take, uh, three tank commanders. And again, that's thinking of everything in the game working kind of the same, which it may not. Because if I could take three tank commanders with this list, then I, that would be a very potent list. It would have a lot of, lot of shooting, lot, uh, just a ton of shooting, really. Uh, and the close combat really wouldn't be too bad either with uh, those gene stealers and the swarm lord. So that right there might be something, but that's three. That's lots of detachments. I'm prop. If we assume that these other ones also cost three, and they don't give you anything for taking them, um, and then let's assume that because they're off, they're off faction as well, that they also cost an additional one. So that's four command points each. Um, that's eight. That leaves me with one command point. Three gets refunded. I start the game with four command points. Is that where I want to be? Now, over the course of the game, I might, you know, for sure I'm getting six command points, but I'm not getting them all at once. And 
the cost of the uh, guy that gives you refunds on some of them. Again, it's not very likely chances on getting them, so you're not getting a lot of chances to get them since you're already starting at so few. So this is probably not a good mix, just thinking of it in that term, right? So, you know, hey, maybe, yeah, trying to find, okay, what else in the Tyranid book gives me some of those things? Well, now I'm starting to think, well, okay, how do I do some other things? Maybe I take a Tyranifex um, that has, you know, kind of the more powerful long-range gun, and is also still very tough. It kind of fills a similar spot as the um, Limanaras. It's straight up worse, though. Um, straight up worse. It's more points, less firepower. Um, I think it's got maybe two wounds. No, it's, I think it's got the same number of wounds as it, and the same toughness and the same save. Uh, and worse, ballistic skill. It, it's, it's just worse in every possible way, four more points. Um, I could take the psychic, um, Tyranid dude. That Blood Ball gave a pretty cool shield thing to. That might be really useful, especially with some of these already tough shooting units that I have. That could be really great in order to give them kind of like this force field of, um, shots against them are going to be at minus one strength, which is really a big deal against um, bolters, which go from then strength four down to strength three, meaning that they're only wounded now on fives. So that's a big uh, buff in toughness to my units. Uh, a lot of guns that are strength nine, like las cannons, going down to strength eight, which again means that they're not wounding nearly as well, or things, missiles and las fusils or whatever they are, that are already strength 8 going down to strength 7, which again is a big deal for things like the Swarmlord, which is toughness 7, or for these things that are toughness 8, again, just causing that drop down on the dice. It's, it's that minus 1 strength because people try to play maximally with their uh, weapon choices, that minus 1 strength usually has uh, a bigger effect than you would think it does. So that'd be a cool unit maybe to take in this. Um, at that point, it's like, okay, well, Tyranids don't really have long-range firepower. That's not their thing. Do I need Biovorps? Again, more out-of-line-of-sight shooting, mortal wound generation, um, not terribly effective against vehicles. I don't really have a lot that can really go against vehicles. Um, Harpies. Ah, the flyers. Flyers now come off. They don't have to stay on the board. So maybe there's a chance for me to get something good where I have something just flying over things. Um, and my opponents maybe don't really care too much because it's not a really potent, potent unit. Um, I can't really lock things down in close combat with it, I don't think. Doesn't seem like. Uh, so, I don't know. We'll see. That, but that's an idea, right? So, there we go. We kind of have, have an idea forming there. There's some fun stuff that we can do. Um, seems like, just kind of thinking of it in those terms, maybe I'd want to just invest a bit more into my Tyranids if I want to play specifically with Tyranids. Um, you know, try and think in terms of, okay, what can I do? Now, the Gene Steelers, being a horde, are also going to take maximum shots from these new blast weapons. That really sucks. I would definitely want an out. Since I have to kind of stay in my detachment, I would like to take a 
Um, Malanthrope. Uh, not... Wait a second, that... Malanthrope? Yeah, Malanthrope. Um, it's, however, not... I, I, I'm, I'm tapped out already at my HQs with the Swarm Lord and the two Neurothropes. Well, I'm going to have to replace a Neurothrope with a Malanthrope if I want to keep it to one detachment. Um, that's fine, because frequently things are kind of staying away anyways, but, uh, uh, you know, obviously this army's now starting to get pretty weak in the close combat department, trying to be able to push things off. Maybe I want now to take, uh, uh ooh, there we go. Here's something that I could do. I could take the Tyrannocyte and load it up with a unit of Zonethropes. And that could be good. Hey, see, lots of things having to think in different terms because you have a different set of limitations. So thank you for listening again. I've already reached my destination. Like I said, that wasn't a long part. But we'll keep on talking, and we'll see you next time after we get more and more information. <laughs> Take care.